Hello, and welcome to Four Advisors, the podcast for and about financial advisors. Today's episode is all about serving a very special breed of client, the expat or international client. Many people in the U.S. retire to other countries every day, and they face a host of very specific challenges, both financial and cultural, as they adjust to their new host country. Our guest today is Raul Rodriguez, a financial advisor, CFP, and head of Pinnacle Advisory Group's Miami office. Raul has worked as a wealth manager for over 20 years, including 18 years at his own firm, Mexico Advisor. He joined Pinnacle Advisory Group in 2016, bringing with him a significant experience in planning and investment management, along with expertise in the complex issues of cross-border financial planning. In addition to being a CFP, he obtained a master's degree in financial planning. Born in Mexico City and having grown up in a bilingual and bicultural household, Raul has traveled extensively and has lived in as an expatriate in countries as varied as Venezuela, Sudan, and the Republic of Georgia. Raul, welcome to the program. Thank you very much, Dave. Happy to be here. With the U.S. economy in flux and taxes on an upward trend over the last several decades, more and more U.S. citizens are choosing to retire to other countries to try and make their nest egg go as far as it can to help maintain the lifestyle people have become accustomed to while they're earning income. But they face considerable challenges as they transition to and adjust to their new home country, both culturally and financially. Raul, how big an audience are we really talking about here? How many expats are there living outside the U.S., and what's the potential size of that niche market? Well, according to the State Department report uh, in 2016, there are about 8.7 million Americans that live abroad. Uh, it's really hard to determine with exactitude how many how many Americans live abroad because there's different definitions. I mean, are you, are you counting people that are dual nationals. For example, I'm a dual national in Mexico in the United States. And if you, if I'm in Mexico, would I count as a U.S. expat or not? And so there's a lot of controversy over, over, over the exact number of Americans that live abroad. But I think it's fair to say that it's, you know, many, many millions, many, 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 many millions. <laughs> many millions of people living abroad. But just because they retire there, are they considered expats? And, and what's involved in international planning that makes it different from domestic planning here in the U.S.? Well, the big, the big, the big issue really is, is that the United States chat, uh, charges income taxes on its citizens and residents on a, on a worldwide basis, regardless of where they live. And that is just not the way that most of the world taxes its citizens. And so you could have an American that moves abroad and they might have to now pay income tax in their new home country on and report worldwide income, but at the same time, then they also have to report worldwide income back to the United States. And so this, this marriage of the two tax systems can make, make for very, very complex, very complex uh, planning issues that have to have to be addressed. And then of course you have other possible conflicts. Uh, you know, you have your, a lot of times American expats are going to have assets in the United States. They're going to have heirs in the United States. But they might also have assets in that in that new home, new home country. I mean, you need to look at the estate planning consequences on you know on, on both sides of the border, so so to speak. And so it can become really, really, really challenging um, to to do the planning in a way that works in both countries. I mean, the other the other thing to keep in mind is that what works you know different uh, Mexico, for example, is not the United States, and so planning is is different. The taxes are different. The assumptions are different. And what works in the United States from a planning perspective might be, you know, might be perfect. But when you introduce it into a foreign context, the planning might not work. 
In fact, some of the planning that you might suggest might even become inappropriate or sometimes even even illegal. Just to give you a couple of examples, um, you know, most of the world is not going to recognize trust. So on an estate planning arena, if you've done a lot of planning with trust and your client moves abroad, that can be that can be an issue, just to give you an example. Wow. It sounds like there's an awful lot of things for the expat to worry about. But why should advisors care? Say I'm a, an advisor and I have a pre-retiree walk into my office and say, I want to retire to Mexico. Can you help me? What would be the first thing that that uh, advisor should think about? I think the, one of the reasons that we need to start thinking about it uh, here, you know, when we have practices in the United States is that, at least in my experience, about three to five percent of a practice has has clients that, that, are, that are international in nature. And that could be in part because they might be a foreigner that's living in the United States and has a green card that has its unique planning uh, challenges. It might, be, it might be an American that's married to to a to, a, to, a, to somebody that's not a citizen, and that again has its own challenges just within in the United States. And then if they say, "Okay, I'm thinking of maybe retiring abroad, and then maybe buying pr- property abroad or immigrating, you know, and li- li- living abroad for some period of time," the first thing I mean, you have to start thinking. You're going to have to question a lot of your of your assumptions. So, for example, let's say that you use Money Guide Pro to do a lot of your retirement planning projections. Money Guide Pro is going to have a lot of assumptions built into it, including tax assumptions, inflation assumptions, and so forth. If the client moves abroad, none of that's going to work. The tax assumptions are not going to be appropriate. The inflation assumptions aren't going to be appropriate either. Their expenses are going to be different. And so all your planning was going to have to be redone based on the fact that they might be living in a totally different planning environment. And that's some that's something that you need to be aware of. The other thing is that if you do planning before they move outside of the outside of the United States, you're going to have a lot better opportunity to take advantage of some, you know, of, of doing your planning in a way that's in the best interest of the clients. For example, Going back to the to the Mexico context, what you want to try to avoid is for that person to become a Mexican tax resident. If you do it right, they could live in Mexico full time forever and not be considered a Mexican tax resident. And that's going to save them from having to report worldwide taxes in Mexico. It's going to make their tax compliance a lot easier. They can live in Mexico. They can have keep all the tax residents in the United States. And it's just going to be a lot easier for everybody. But that takes a little bit of a forethought to plan it beforehand. And so that, that's why you really need, want to find about, about these things you know, before, before they take those steps. So this really is a very specialized practice. You can't just hop into this with, with nothing behind you and no expertise. You mentioned uh, tax residents. Tell me the difference between tax residents and legal residents. Can you be specific? I mean, I'm not a pro at this. You're going to have to slow it down just a little so even I understand. Yeah, you know, there's lots and lots of confusion between legal residents and tax residents. Everybody, everybody has questions about that. So legal residence basically is the legal authority for you to live, live in a country uh, without any problem. So that's, you know, just basically means if you have papers to live there, tax residence is, is something totally different. Basically, it just means, are you obligated to pay taxes to that country based based on the fact that that you're living there whether you have legal papers or you don't have legal papers is is not is not a factor in determining tax residence 
So, for example, in a U.S. context, somebody that's in the United States, an undocumented worker in the United States has been here, you know, more than a couple of years, is a tax resident. They're obligated to pay U.S. taxes, whether they whether they knew it or not or know it or not, they, they do. In fact, I once had a client that uh, did not have legal papers, but he was able to start a restaurant. And even today, he's still running this restaurant. He got his tax, his tax ID, his, ta- his permits to run the restaurant, everything. And he still, he still has a very successful, successful re- uh, restaurant and he is compliant with his U.S. tax obligations. It's the same thing in Mexico. You can move to Mexico and you can live in Mexico for long periods of time. Uh, but, you know, if you do it right, like I say, you could, you know, you don't necessarily need to be a, a, tax, a tax resident. Uh, every country is different. And the United States has signed many tax treaties with uh, different countries that also help establish who is a tax resident. So you want to look at that first to determine if you're a tax resident. But again, it's different than legal residents. It's legal residents, of course, it's just, you know, do you have the immigration papers to allow you to stay in the country legally? Wow. That, that's a lot to, to take in for a short period of time. Now, here's a shade of difference that even may cloud this even further. What's the difference between domicile and residence? Because we mm. talked about being a tax resident. Yeah. Do you have domicile at that point or no? So that's a really good, that's a really good question because in the States, all these, all these different definitions are taxed differently. So tax residents, citizens, uh, permanent residents, and domiciliaries can have all different tax consequences. So from a U.S. perspective, you're, a domic- I mean, you're domiciled in the United States if you've moved into the United States with the intent to stay. From that moment, you're, a tax- uh, you're, a do- you're considered domiciled in the United States. And again, you don't need to have any legal papers to have established domicile. In the United States, the way they determine domicile, of course, is intent. And what they then look at, look at after that is, well, you know, what 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 factors can they examine to show that you've had you have intent to remain in the, state, the United States? So, if you moved into the United States with your family, where do you receive the mail? Where do you get medical treatment? Where you're working? Um, if you you know where if you where are you going to to worship? Did you get a driver's license? I mean, all these are factors that would indicate that you probably have the intent to remain in the States on a, on a permanent basis. So there's really still a lot of, of judgment calls and gray areas here, depending on what they require for documentation and what aspects of your life they're looking at. All those things can really play a part in how you're considered in that country. So why is immigration such an important part of, of international planning? Well, how does that play in? Well, immigration a lot of times is going to drive the, the, the tax the tax consideration. So Going back to your earlier question, is what makes international planning or cross-border planning different than regular planning? One of the main components of international planning is the immigration piece, because the immigration piece, which it will include, you know, things like tax, really would conclude tax residence and domicile, also is, is going to be key to determine all the other tax consequences. So while tax consequences are the are the main driver a lot of our planning. The immigration piece is what determines determines that, and so we will spend a lot of time looking at, you know, are you, you know, how you immigrate into a country, what type of visas are you going to have, do those visas create tax residents, or are they exempt from being creating tax residents? We'll look at the tax treaty also to see, you know, what the definition. Hopefully, if there's a tax treaty, to see what the definition of a tax resident is is, is at that point. And knowing that, then we can start planning the tax consequences. And of course, we want to plan the tax consequences in a way that's most favorable to, to our clients. 
But what happens in reality is that a lot of people simply are not planning so far ahead and they just move into a country, acquire residence, acquire, acquire you know, legal documentation. And then a lot of, unfortunately, a lot of the planning opportunities are lost at that, at that point. Wow. This gets more and more intertwined and more and more complicated. For advisors out there, you're going to have to really do your homework if you're going to make international planning your niche. But I think it's a valuable one, and I think it's one that's going to be growing. We're going to take a two-minute break here, and we'll be right back. We're going to talk about uh, foreign planning with a green card. We're going to talk about some of the opportunities that are involved, and how do you identify those opportunities if you want to grow your practice this way. We'll be right back. Are you an RIA or financial advisor looking to grow and scale your practice, but feel like you could use some help? Feel like there are lots of growth options out there, but don't have time to research them and don't want to make an expensive mistake? Want to spend more time helping clients instead of time-consuming investment research, compliance checks, or transactional work? If you answered yes to any of these, Pinnacle Advisor Solutions has the answers you need with a range of outsourced options and financial planning support, Pinnacle has a solution that fits your needs, budget, and circumstances to help you scale up, grow your practice, or put a succession plan in place. For more information or to set up an appointment, call 201-919-4838. And we're back with Raul Rodriguez talking about international and cross-border financial planning. Raul, back to our original advisor who has someone, say, walk in the door and ask, I'm going to retire to Mexico. What do I do? Um, What happens if that advisor's client has a green card and maybe is married to a U.S. citizen? Is is the planning the same for all clients or is it spousal stance and status different and does it change? How you got here changes and when you're going back. How do all these things impact how you plan for their financial future? Yeah, good, good question. Uh, it's really important to remember that if you, if somebody has a green card in the United States, and so basically they're permanent residents, you don't lose that permanent residence by moving abroad. It's not uncommon for me to run across individuals that are green card holders that that you know they've lived in the states for let's say twenty or thirty years, and they've decided that they're going to retire to their to their home country, and their expectation is is at that point then they're not going to be taxed uh, in, in the United States anymore. Uh, the fact is, is that it's simply by moving abroad or moving back home in their case, that's, that's not what happens. I mean, in order to give up your green card, you actually have to physically let, let, let the U S government know and surrender the green card in order to stop being taxed, uh, as a, as a, as a U.S. as a U.S. resident. So, and just to be clear, if you're, if you have a green card and you move abroad, you continue to be taxed on a worldwide basis as if you were, as if you were a citizen. To the other question as to what you know, what type of planning happens if you have a green card, even if you're in the United States and you're married to a to an American citizen, there is no unlimited marital deduction for green card holders. So, for example, where two if two people are married and they're American citizens, they can gift amounts back and forth without you know any amount that they want without any having to file a gift tax return because they're taking advantage of the of the unlimited exclusion. But if one of the one of the partners is a non-U.S. citizen, they cannot receive uh, more than than about one hundred and fifty-seven thousand dollars a year without having to incur uh, for the donor to get incur some kind of gift tax consequence. 
Um, and that hap- and that extends also then to the estate planning arena as well. So an American that passes away leaving a non-citizen spice as, spouse as a survivor would not be able to uh, pass on his or her wealth without uh, without some some planning considerations. So there's special trust that can be set up uh, for, for, for this purpose. But basically, the non-U.S. spouse is not able to receive that inheritance as if they were, if or as if they were U.S. citizen, they'd be really able to receive the entire amount. The other complication there is that right now we have something called portability, uh, but in the case of non-citizen spouses, there is no uh, there is no portability, and so it's another 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 planning wrinkle to keep keep in mind. So you ask me what happens if they move abroad? Well, if the couple moves abroad and one, one couple is an American citizen and one's not because they have a green card, from a U.S. standpoint, nothing's really, from an estate planning standpoint, nothing's really changed. I mean, they continue to face the same challenges that we just talked about, regardless of where they live in the world, which is, like I say, that's one of the unique aspects that makes you know, U.S. planning unique and complex and challenging is that it doesn't make any difference where Americans go, these, these laws follow them. And that's what makes it particularly difficult sometimes. That's enlightening all by itself is the fact that you can never escape U.S. taxes. <laughs> that's fascinating. Now, let's go back to our advisor and change the script a little bit. What happens if you're a U.S. citizen and you're an advisor's client and that client moves abroad? Can that ex- advisor go with them? I mean, can his, can his planning expertise move with them across the border and, and can he still work with them? You know, there's a, so that's going to depend on the jurisdiction in which they're moving. So, for example, if your client moves to Canada and they become a Canadian resident, then the Canadian authorities would not look favorably upon you continue to advise that client. Because so, according to Canadian registration uh, uh, securities laws, you can only 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 registered investment advisors in Canada can provide investment advice to to their Canadian residents. Uh, if they move to a country like Mexico, where there's a lot less regulation, then you probably could continue servicing servicing that client with, without a problem. So it's important for you to, you know, understand the laws of the jurisdiction that uh, where your client's moving to make to make that determination. Wow! Even if they have U.S. assets that are still here that you're managing, that's correct, and that's that is that is correct, and so that that is a challenge. That is a challenge. In my experience, uh, most most advisors probably are going to keep that client and just not say anything to the Canadian authorities. Uh, but but that person's also going to be you know going to be acquiring Canadian assets probably possibly, and there's going to be Canadian estate planning considerations and Canadian tax considerations because now as a resident of Canada, they also have to pay tax on worldwide income. And so you know if we are serious about taking a fiduciary duty, we need to ask ourselves if if you know. Are we in a place to really provide appropriate financial planning advice to clients that that are in an international context? If we don't have the expertise, then we need to know where to go get it. And you would be definitely a place to go to go get it by the sound of it. Now, let's uh, let's take a 20,000 foot view here for just a bit and look at the advisory industry as a whole. Where do you see the opportunities in the international space? Say I'm an advisor listening to this podcast and... uh, I say, you know what? I've got a bunch of relatives in other countries. I should be able to learn about this. Why can't I be uh, an, an international cross-border planner? What, where do you see the opportunities? Let's start with the positives. What's the, what's the benefit? Well, I had mentioned that there were you know eight point you know, 
according to the State Department, 8.7 million Americans that are living abroad. But there's also 44 million foreigners that are living in, you know, that, that well, not foreigners necessarily, but 44 million people living in the United States that were born abroad. Some of them, of course, have now become U.S. citizens, but not all of them. And then of those, a lot of them have also married people that are U.S. citizens. And so uh, there's a there's a very large pool of people that have some kind of international considerations because it's not just Americans that are moving abroad. It's also all the foreigners that are coming into the United States that provide opportunities as 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 well. In terms of you know how do you go about it, I think it's very important. I mean, there's you have to be the cultures are very different, and so you have to be you have to have some kind of cultural uh, cultural awareness. And I would think just as a as a general comment, you know, usually people from similar backgrounds are probably going to be more in tune to what the cultural differences are. But that that would be something to to keep in mind. The other is more difficult is that you have to acquire at least to some extent some expertise in that other country, and so being able to speak the language of that other country is probably helpful. I think that's one reason that there's a lot of U.S. Canadian planning is that you know U.S. and Canada share share a language, um, and so it's a lot easier to do to to the to do the planning from from that standpoint as well. Um, but yeah, I think there's a lot of people here and there's a big need and there's just not a lot of planners that do international and, um, and, and it's so complex and so different that people, you know, can get, can get hurt if we don't do it right. And so we definitely need more people that are willing to step up and, and, uh, you know, start learning about, about international planning. So there's definitely a big enough market and there's definitely some specialized, uh, planning that needs to be done. Uh, the question is, do we have the, the manpower and the expertise to really perform it properly. And, and you mentioned, because we talk a lot in this program about building a niche, that niche really has to be uh, even narrowed down further than that. If you just are talking about international planning, it could be maybe one aspect of international planning, maybe that retirement move, or maybe that that foreign asset property purchase or something like that, that, that you could really sort of nail down exactly who you're serving might be better. And you mentioned also a cultural fit. Um, Narrowing the audience to a country, probably a really good idea, one that you're familiar with or can get familiar with quickly, culturally and language-wise and, and in other ways, so that your clients in future may feel more comfortable uh, speaking with you because they understand that you know the things that they know. Yeah, that's, I think all that's really, really, really important. Um, and you know, the other is that you know, international planning is divided into you know, outbound planning uh, with basically Americans leaving or inbound planning, foreigners coming into the United States. So I think a lot of a lot of um, a lot of uh, practitioners in the United States could become very well versed on the on the inbound planning aspects, which basically means they become experts on all the U.S. aspects of somebody coming, you know, foreigner coming into the United States and bringing assets into the United States. I mean, all that type of knowledge knowledge base is available in the United States. It's, regard, it's based on U.S. laws and regulations. It's in English. And so uh, that would be something I think relatively easy. Well, I don't know if easy, but it's available. Let's put it that way. So you can get the education. They're, they're, the resources are here and available if you wanted to attack just that portion of the of the planning dilemma. Right. So that might be a place to start. How, how would you identify international opportunities in your community? Say I'm an advisor in Iowa or I'm an advisor in, in New York, or I'm an advisor in Maine, how would I go about identifying how to reach uh, expats in my neighborhood or, or close to me that I could help? 
So of course it's different if you're thinking about Americans that want to go abroad or you're talking about foreigners that are that are in the United States. I think the, the communities are very different. And so I think the, the way you'd approach that would be different different as well. But I, I think a big place that where we can just start right away would be by changing our intake process. You know, most of us have these questionnaires where you ask people to fill out their name and address and so forth. Sometimes there'll be a line there that says, you know, what's your citizenship, which I think is important. So if you don't have that, I think you have to incorporate citizenship uh, question. But in addition to citizenship, you should also be asking if they say, if you just ask U.S. citizen and they're dual national, they're probably going to put U.S. citizen. So you should say, you know, how many citizens, you know, are you a U.S. citizen? Yes or no. That's an important question to know. But then you should say, list any other citizenships that you have. And if they have any other citizenships, that's a flag telling you, hey, you know, I, uh, uh, you know, there's a possibility that uh, this guy has foreign assets or maybe his parents are foreign and they might even inherit. I mean, how does how is that going to work in the practice? And so and then you ask the same things for the spouse that so that's that's what so that's that's important. The other would be. You know, specifically ask, do they have the intention of possibly moving abroad at some point? And if they do, that again gives you the opportunity to do some of that pre-planning that we we're talking about, which I think is 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 is, is so important. So really, it's a lot of cultural sensitivity and knowledge that not everybody's situation is born here, lived here, died here, want to stay here. It's people come from all over, and you have to sort of understand their situation coming to you much better even before you start working with them. Yeah, and, and, if you're, and, and just to give you an example, if, if you're working with Canadians, because and, you know, they do, and, you know, Canadians do have a, speci- a special accent. I mean, if you, if you work with them, you, you notice. But a lot of times they've been in the States and they have, let's call it a very Midwestern neutral accent. And sometimes just people assume that they're American, which, of course, the Canadians hate because they're not, they're not American. And so, you know, don't, I mean, the other, the, I think the other big, the other big recommendation would you know, question all your assumptions because in an international space, a lot of your assumptions aren't going to work. That person might not be a U.S. citizen. Don't assume that everybody wants to you know, retire to the United States. I mean, that's that's the underlying assumption of what you're really talking about. So how to identify these people? Well, you know, a lot of people don't. You know, but millions re- re- want to retire abroad or live abroad already. So don't assume that everybody wants to re- retire here or live here. And so it's just really important. That would be the other one, you know, do some intake, change your intake documents some, but also question all these all these assumptions, and that and that that will probably get, go a long way in, in you know helping find people that have international uh, dreams and and wishes. That is a lot to take in. We have lots to learn about the various rules and regulations and cultures in each country if we're really going to offer this as a planning opportunity. And advisors have a lot to think about in terms of whether they want to take this on or not, and would they do what that opportunity really represents. Thank you for joining us, Data Raul. I've really enjoyed speaking with you, and we learned a lot. I'm sure our advisors are going to have lots of questions coming in the email. Thank you very much. I appreciate it, and look forward to the, look forward to the questions. Raul gave us some good insights there and some very specific knowledge you can use with clients who may want to make a move to a non-U.S. retirement location. If you have questions about how to approach international clients, about some of those important cross-border investment or planning issues, drop us a line at foradvisors at pinnacleadvisory.com and we'll get you some answers. Hope you enjoyed this program. I'm your host for Four Advisors, Dave Polis. Until next time, thanks for listening. You're listening to Four Advisors, the podcast for and about financial advisors. 
This program is for educational purposes only, and the opinions expressed here by guests do not necessarily fully or accurately reflect the legal intent or nature of Pinnacle Advisor Solutions, Pinnacle Advisory Group, or its senior management. This program is not intended to give legal, investment, or financial planning advice, and opinions and statements made in this podcast should not be relied on as such.